Romulus and Remus. Hello, this is Bertie, and I'm here with a story about the foundation of the great city of Rome. The story has some history in it, but also elements of a fairy tale. You can decide for yourself which parts are true and which parts might be myth. Once upon a time, about 2,800 years ago, there was a city in Italy called Alba Longa. Its name means white and long. The king of Alba Longa was called Numitor, and his brother was Amulius. Now Amulius thought that he could do a better job as king than Numitor was managing. So one day he gathered together some rough men, invaded the palace, and dragged Numitor off his throne. After that, there wasn't much brotherly love between Numitor and Amulius. Some time later, the daughter of Numitor, Silvia, gave birth to twin boys. Some say that the father of those boys was Mars, the god of war. At any rate, the tiny babies were destined to achieve great things. When Amulius heard about his brother's new grandchildren, he was afraid that one day, when the boys were grown into men, they would take revenge on him. It was better to act sooner rather than later. So he ordered an old servant to take the babies from their mother. The old man did not like these orders, but he did as he was told. He put the babies in a basket and took them down to the river. At the time, it had been raining for several weeks, and the Tiber had overflown its banks. When the servant set the basket down in the flood water, he watched it float off downstream. Until it hit a stone and overturned, the babies were tipped out into the mud, where they lay wallowing and crying. The servant felt tears well up in his eyes at the pathetic sight. Then, through his blurry gaze, he saw a wolf emerge from behind a fig tree and lope down to the twins. The servant thought that this wild animal would surely bring a sudden end to the story, but instead of eating the children or doing them any harm, the wolf licked the mud off them. Next, she gently picked up the children in her mouth, one by one, and carried them off to her cave. In fact, the babies survived. Indeed. Some shepherds spotted the infants playing with some wolf cubs, and they saw the mother wolf feed the babies with her own milk, and then they watched in amazement as a woodpecker popped berries into the young ones' mouths. When the mother wolf was away from the cave, the shepherds picked up the twins and whisked them away, taking them to a couple who had recently lost a child. The husband and wife named the twins Romulus and Remus, and brought them up as their own inside their humble hut, made of sticks and reeds. When Romulus and Remus grew up to be strong lads, they worked as herdsmen and looked after animals.
Sometimes they got into fights with other herdsmen over quarrels like which goat belonged to who, or which part of the hill they could feed their animals on, and so on and so on. There was quite a bit of rivalry, and one day, when they were on their way to a festival of the god Pan, a band of herdsmen attacked them and captured Remus. They dragged Remus off to the court of King Amulius, where they accused him of stealing one of their goats. Amulius asked Remus some questions about where he came from and who his parents were. Remus told the king his story that he had a twin brother, and they had both been abandoned and then rescued by a wolf. When Amulius heard this. He immediately suspected that Remus was one of the twins that he had ordered to be drowned eighteen years beforehand. He threw Remus into jail. While this was going on, Romulus was busy gathering up a band of men. They soon attacked the palace, rescued Remus, and killed Amulius. Of course, they restored their grandfather Numitor. To his rightful position as king of Alba Longa. Now the boys learned who they really were. Romulus and Remus decided to found a new city, which they were sure would grow into something quite magnificent. After all, they had the backing of the gods. Romulus chose the Palatine Hill as the ideal spot to found the city. Remus had his eye on another hill called the Aventine. Unfortunately, the brothers began to quarrel about which was the best hill for the city. But in truth, they were really arguing about who was going to make the decisions and be the king. Eventually, they decided to settle the quarrel by looking for a sign from the gods called an omen. One especially powerful omen could be found in the flight of birds. So, Romulus and Remus agreed that each would stand on their favorite hill, and the one who saw an impressive flight of birds would win the contest. Of course, a guard would stand with each of them to make sure that there was no cheating. At the crack of dawn on the appointed morning, Romulus stood on the Palatine Hill, and Remus stood on the Aventine Hill. Romulus searched the skies, but they seemed to be empty of all birds. He began to worry that his brother Remus would spot a flight of birds before him, and so he decided to play a trick. He sent a servant to fetch Remus. And distract him from his task. While the messenger was still on his way, Remus saw six vultures flying from the right. This was a clear sign of good luck. Remus received the message and went over to Romulus on the other hill. When he arrived, he said, "Brother, I've seen six vultures flying from the right." What have you seen? And Romulus admitted, nothing. But just then, twelve vultures appeared in the sky, and Romulus said, "There, 
That's twice as many birds as you've seen. It's obvious. The gods have shown me to be the winner. Remus, of course, felt cheated and argued back. The contest had settled precisely nothing. Regardless, Romulus pressed ahead with his plans to build a new shining city on the Palatine Hill. First, he offered a prayer to the gods. Lord Jupiter, Father Mars, Mother Vesta, and all you gods who watch over us, look down on my city. May it last long, and may it rule the world. Jupiter answered Romulus's prayer with lightning and thunder. Delighted by this reply, the followers of Romulus let out a great cheer. <laughs> Then Romulus ordered a man with a plow and an oxen to dig a trench in a great square around the hill. This trench marked out the lines of the walls, and then the workers began to lay the stones. At first, the walls were not particularly high, and Romulus ordered a trusted soldier, Keller, to guard the building site and make sure that nobody stole any bricks or did any harm to the walls. When Remus came to see the progress, he mocked the work, saying, "Will the people be safe behind those puny walls? Look, they're really." Tiny. To make his point, he began to jump over the walls in the most insulting fashion. In fact, the word "insult" originally means to jump over. Keller grew angry and hit Remus with a spade. And unfortunately, he killed him. And so, the city of Rome was built on a tragic quarrel between two brothers. But we can say that Romulus was the first king of Rome. It is said that he founded the city on the twenty-first of April, seven five three B.C. Romulus set up many of the symbols of Roman kingship, including a purple toga that was worn by the king alone, and a bundle of sticks called fasces that the king carried. He also created some of the institutions of Rome, including a council of elders called the Senate. Rome expanded into a vast city, but even as the streets and the buildings grew up, the Romans always preserved the cave where the she-wolf looked after Romulus and Remus, and there was a statue in the Forum of the wolf and the baby twins. At one stage. Lightning struck the paw of the statue, and if you visit Rome, you can see the bronze statue of the wolf, and of the baby Romulus and Remus, in the museum, on the Palatine Hill. And that was the story of Romulus and Remus. In a moment, I'll be bringing you another legend, or perhaps history from the early days of Rome. It's about a bad Roman king called Tarquinius, and about a Roman hero called Horatius. But first, let's hear from our fantastic and educational sponsor, Outschool. 
Now, here in England, it's really hot. <laughs> it's sweltering, to be honest. And it's a reminder that summer has well and truly arrived. The kids break up from school in the UK a little bit later than in the US, but we are really thinking, what are we going to do with them? Well, one of our favourite solutions for this very problem is out school. Out school provides you with a wealth of online classes, and I can tell you that kids really do love them. I think one of the things they really enjoy is taking part in these online classes with children from other parts of the world. It's it's really fun actually, and it's kind of inspiring. And the teachers are very good, and the classes are very well structured and well thought through. Most classes are about an hour, and their time really well spent.、Um, the children really enjoy them; they look forward to them, and they really learn something. And in these times, what's really important is that they're affordable. It's much more affordable than getting a tutor, so you can learn some quite serious stuff like maths or a language, and you can learn things. That are perhaps a bit more fun. There's a mythology class, for instance, that's tied into Minecraft. I think that's pretty popular. There are also classes on social skills, on science, on acting.、Um, the art classes are really popular with our family. Writing, of course, is another one. Spelling. <laughs> It really has a class for everything. Look, look, check out OutSchool. It is the solution to finding some educational and stimulating and fun time for your kids. I promise you won't regret it. Outschool will have your kids loving to learn and having fun doing it. Head over to outschool.com forward slash storynori and use code storynori to learn all about Outschool's summer programs and to save fifteen dollars off your child's first class. That's Outschool o u t s c h o o l dot com slash storynori to save fifteen dollars on your child's first class. Outschool dot com slash storynori code. Story Nori. Now let's travel back to ancient times, to 500 years BC. What was happening in the world two and a half thousand years ago? Well, in China, a famous general called Sun Tzu was winning battles. He wrote a book called The Art of War, which has come down to us to this day. His main idea was to spend as little energy and force as possible to win a war. Instead of fighting, for example, he suggested using spies or sieges or deception. And the Chinese philosopher and politician Confucius was alive two thousand five hundred years ago. He had many famous sayings. For example, "Everything has beauty, but not everyone sees it." And his wisdom guides millions of people, especially in Asia, to this day. And around two thousand five hundred years ago, in the Middle East. The Persian Empire, that would be Iran these days, was growing ever richer and stronger, and the Emperor Darius was on the throne. He later tried to conquer Greece, and failed. And one of the Greek cities, Athens, was evolving into a democracy in which people had the right to vote, which was a novel idea back then. And a similar idea was growing up in Rome, as we shall hear. Because in this story we are focused on Rome, the city in Italy, which was still young, but which was destined to have an extraordinary empire. I'm going to be telling some stories about how Rome got rid of its kings, 
and became a republic in the year 509 BC. I think our American listeners will see some parallels with their own history. As we heard before, the founder and first king of Rome was Romulus. When Romulus died, the Senate, or Council of Wise Old Men, chose a new king. In all, there were seven kings of Rome over a period of about 250 years. At first, the kings ruled wisely, but each new king was a little more arrogant, selfish and greedy than the one before. Eventually, Lucius Tarquinius Superbus seized power in the year 509 BC by means of murder and foul play. The Roman citizens particularly hated Tarquinius and his family, including his wife and son, both of whom were accused of horrible crimes. The following anecdote may or may not be true, but it's fun all the same, so I'll tell it to you. When the sons of Tarquinius travelled to Greece, their cousin Lucius Brutus went with them. The group visited the Oracle of Delphi, where the priestess claimed that she could see the future. But she normally spoke in riddles, which made it hard to understand what she actually meant. It also made it hard to prove that she was wrong. Well, the sons of Tarquinius asked the Oracle of Delphi which of them would be the next king of Rome. And she answered that the first among them to kiss their mother would be the next king. Now Brutus was only a cousin, but he had ambitions too and he decided that the oracle was referring to Mother Earth, or Gaia. So on the way out, he pretended to trip on a stone, and when he fell, he kissed the ground. He thought that by kissing Mother Earth, he would become the eighth king of Rome. But that's not quite what happened. In fact, history mostly makes out that Brutus stood against the whole idea of kings. Anyway, as I said, it was a nice story. When Brutus returned to Rome, King Tarquinius was away fighting a war against a rival city. Brutus went into the Forum, which was the busy marketplace of Rome, and gave a speech urging the people to take power and make sure that the wicked king never came back. A mob rose up, seized the palace and barred the gates of the city so that Tarquinius could not return. However, Brutus did not take the opportunity to make himself king of Rome. Instead, he asked every Roman to take an oath, swearing never to allow anyone to be king of Rome again. The oath of Brutus went something like this. I swear with the gods and with all of you as my witnesses to use sword, fire, and any means to prevent Tarquinius or any member of his wicked family or any other human being from ruling Rome as king ever again. Brutus declared that Rome would be a republic, which is a state without a king. Instead, the Senate, followed by a vote of the people, chose two leaders called consuls to jointly govern Rome for one year. And at the end of that year, they would choose two more people to be consuls. The first consuls of Rome were Brutus and Valerius. But when they were elected, the fate of Rome was far from certain. Tarquinius gathered an army and fought back. 
there was a battle between the forces of the new republic and those of the former king. Brutus led the cavalry for the republican side and in the midst of the battle he jousted with one of Tarquinius's sons. They both charged at each other on horseback and killed one another with their lances. Eventually the Romans won the day and pushed the forces of Tarquinius back for now. When the one surviving consul Valerius returned to Rome he held a magnificent funeral for Brutus it is said that the women of Rome mourned Brutus for an entire year, more because of his honour and bravery than his looks. 450 years later, a descendant of Brutus became equally famous when he took part in the assassination of Julius Caesar, who wanted to end the Republic and become a dictator of Rome. But Tarquinius was no quitter. He joined forces with the Etruscans from northern Italy and their king, Lars Porsena. First of all, Lars Porsena sent messengers to Rome with demands to take Tarquinius back as their king. When the Romans refused, he declared war on them. At first it seemed that the Etruscans had the stronger army. The Romans retreated back across the river Tiber, which was their main line of defence. The way across the Tiber was over a wooden bridge. The Romans needed to destroy it to prevent the Etruscans following them. According to a famous story, a soldier called Horatius stood on the bridge over the river Tiber, guarding it against the entire Etruscan army. Horatius was a fierce soldier who had lost an eye in battle and his friends called him Cyclops, after the race of one-eyed giants. This Horatius single-handedly fought off the Etruscans, while two of his fellow soldiers were working to cut down the bridge. When eventually the bridge began to wobble and then collapse, Horatius dived into the river still wearing his full armour. The Etruscans rained spears down on him and one wounded him in the buttock, but somehow he managed to swim ashore and to survive. The inspirational story of Horatio's courage lived on even after the fall of Rome. When Britain's most famous Prime Minister Winston Churchill was young, he learned an epic poem about this incident by heart. The young Churchill was not particularly good at school lessons, but he managed to impress his teachers by reciting the poem in front of the school. This memory and this poem may have influenced Churchill later on when he was Prime Minister during Britain's darkest hour in World War II. Churchill made some famous speeches inspiring the British people to stand firm and keep their courage up. And you can see why. I will read a few lines from Horatius at the Bridge by Thomas Babington Macaulay. Then outspoke brave Horatius, captain of the gate, to every man upon this earth, death cometh soon or late. And how can a man die better than facing fearful odds for the ashes of his fathers? and the temples of his gods. Haul down the bridge, Sir Consul, with all the speed you may. 
I, with two more to help me, will hold the foe in play. In yon straight path a thousand may well be stopped by three. Now who will stand on either hand and keep the bridge with me? In this episode of Story Nori, we heard quite a bit of Roman history and legend. Here's a quick reminder, we learned how Romulus and Remus were abandoned as babies and adopted by a wolf. Romulus went on to found the city of Rome and he became its first king. There were seven kings in all and the last, Tarquinius Superbus, was a cruel and arrogant ruler. A noble Roman called Brutus overthrew him and the Romans swore that they would never be ruled by kings again. Instead, they became a republic, a bit like the modern United States. But Tarquinius, the deposed king, fought back with the help of the Etruscans. Brutus was killed in the first battle with the Etruscans. Then an Etruscan king called Lars Porsena attacked Rome and Horatius held the invaders off at the bridge. There are some more heroic stories about the founding of Rome. One day I'll return to tell them. But next week, I very much hope that Jana will be back with the next episode in our series, The Dutch Hotel. And don't forget, if you're looking for something to occupy the kids this summer, try out OutSchool. OutSchool.com forward slash StoryNori for your special offer. <laughs>